Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is Brooke Lurie, and this is the Brooke Lurie Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari Day. Thanks always a pleasure to have you on board. All right. So latest development, and we're going to launch from this particular thing. It, it, it probably would not be the main title, is the ICAN, I-C-A-N-N, Internet Control Issue. As you may recall, I believe it was last November or October, uh, the president had decided that it would be a neato thing to release the internet to the world at large. So that uh, I don't quite know the real reason why that would be the case, but and why he would want to do that. I, I don't think there was any talk of of an exchange of a lot of money to do so. Um, but he just wanted to release it. Well, there is a very good reason. The internet has been very inconvenient for the mainstream media. Well, okay. So we'll, that's we'll get, we'll get my there. opinion of yes, why we, that happened. Okay. Yes. This is our David jumping in the gun. Oh, yeah. you were going to say that? Yes. Oh, for, yes okay, yes. forget it. I well, you have to ask it. the question, why would it be done? Why would he make such a big announcement if there weren't some sort of uh, benefit, that, or at least perceived benefit, from his standpoint and from the, the standpoint of the Democrats, right? There's got to be a reason. If it's, it, it's not money... Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily improve America's position one way or the other. In fact, it worsens it. There's no, there's no way you could say it actually improves America's position. Um, the stated reason, of course, is that somehow this will prohibit large companies like Amazon and uh, Google, I suppose, from monopolizing bandwidth uh, on the Internet. But, but how so? I mean, I, you give it to a bunch of you know, corrupt nations and you think that that's not going to that they're not going to somehow give money to Google or get money from Google in order to maintain those those big bandwidths. Yeah, but that was net neutrality. That was a that was no. The, that's the, that that's part of the whole thing that he wanted. He oh, wanted, the ICANN release yes. was part of net neutrality. Yes, he, he ICANN release uh, and net neutrality were 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 not one of the same, but they were part and parcel of each other. Oh. Yeah. So. Anyway, let's. So let's, one was to shut, was slow down the internet to the crawl, and the right. other one was to get rid of the direct report. There you go. <laughs> That's yeah. So uh, you know, I, th- I think that they're connected at the very least. Um, but but yeah, you're right. Net neutrality was a separate discussion, and and his the the, the ostensible reason for it was to avoid the power grabs by big companies like Google and Amazon and Apple. Um, and that was the ostensible reason. And the ICANN uh, release to the to the world at large is well, not too clear, right? What what, what is the actual reason? Uh, no stated reason. They just kind of said, well, it's time. Um, it, things have changed in the world. Uh, we feel it would like be, it. It would be a nice thing to do for all those corrupt countries that want it. I, I you know. You know, Iran, you know, as part of the deal with with Iran, we also agreed to release all of our... Yes. We figure they're already hacking into our Pentagon and the White House anyway, so let's just make open what, what they're doing uh, in a closed way. You get the idea. So so they're doing this, and, and but they're discovering, the White House, that, gosh, you know, there may be some bad ripple effects if we do, in fact, release this to the rest of the world. 
And I think, I think they're right, of course, we know that that's right. I think it's to the level of, I mean, maybe not to the level of, but if you saw Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, <laughs> right, where that, that, there's that fateful moment where they, they literally press a button to release all the world's major military computers to Skynet, right? And then within literally minutes, the machines have already assumed the position of taking over um, the world, right? And, and the, the machines turn on them and everything else. Okay, so I, I get that. Um, and obviously I'm not saying that it's going to be at the point where by releasing the Internet, it's going to mean that we're going to have machines coming after us. But what I am saying is once we press the button and say, here, the, the Internet is hereby released, we can never get it back. Just can't, can't be. It's, it's the genie out of the bottle. Or to, for a more apt phrase, it's, it's uh, trying to get the toothpaste back into the tube. You can't do it. Okay. And I think the Obama administration has discovered this because I think it's an inept organization that, that spews out ideas that are not workable and then has to kind of figure out what to do. So I ask you, Ari David, what else does this remind you of? This, this notion of, I've got a big plan, and then, of course, you, it's just not workable, and they have to postpone it all the time. I'm not sure, but it, it seems that there was an event, I believe in March of 2010, in which both houses controlled by Democrats voted in sort of on the sly to mm. pass this bill before they read it, that involved my doctor and my insurance company. Yes, you know what? That's a good. That's a, that's a minor footnote. Yes, and it had to. It had the word care in it, and it had the word Obama in it. Yes, that's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. And then right. there was followed in the following years between that day and well today, in that sandwich of time between then and now, all these things that were part of that law that are suddenly weren't because of decisions Obama made. Right. All terribly inconvenient uh, decisions and, well, gosh, we got to fix this. Yeah, things you that know. became inconvenient to him for his re-election chances and right. the ability of the House and Senate to be held by his party and... Right. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, he can amend it as much as he likes so long as uh, it's not so in your face and, and hence the amendment with... Uh, or the attempted amendment with the... Um, the federal subsidies and such. But it just was not workable. It was a stupid law. It still is a stupid law, but it was all the more stupid because of the way it was slapped together, right? Now, you have also Guantanamo. I'm thinking about that, too. Remember how we made this? Oh, yeah. I will close Guantanamo by and a, then y- a year from that day. Yeah. No, it was a year from that date. He said, I, I'm going to be closing within a year. And that would have been, what, uh, 2009, right? Well, I think he gave no, that speech... Uh, Well, he gave that speech while running for office, but I think he said it again during his inauguration speech on January 20th, 2009 or something, which would have meant by January 19th, 2010, Guantanamo would have been closed. That's exactly what uh, he had promised, and of course uh, it didn't close, and I'm glad it didn't close, but um, only because he began to realize that there's no other way of housing these, these monsters, and we don't want it in our backyard, so to speak, or within our territories, and we can only do so much. Um, without Guantanamo. So here we are. You know, it's the same thing. And he, he rolls out this weird idea, uh, funky and stupid idea, and then uh, has to kind of, you know, walk it back a little bit, right? Uh, there are more examples. Well, there's one example that just came to my mind, and I don't want to appear flippant or anything, but I think I just found the one example where he actually made the decision and stuck with it. And that's the pullout from Iraq. Oh, yes. And that resulted in something called ISIS. <laughs> yes, it did. So maybe it would have been better had he not stuck with that one. The JV team. <laughs> right. right. Now, it's so funny. Like, you know, the Democrats are all about, or the liberals are all about saying, you created ISIS, Jeb Bush, right? But wait a minute. If Obama, in his own words, had said that ISIS was merely the JV team, right? <laughs> and then... Of course, when ISIS became really, really ugly, I mean, you know, the horrendous, monstrous operation that, that it is, that it's so much in the news, that's when 
when George Bush was the one who created it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was just the JV team before. They, <laughs> oh, oh, man. But when they became good at what they do, then the other guy. Made yeah, it. exactly. But let's not digress. The point is, that, and it's a good example of what you said, he did stick with it. But look what happens when you actually stick with any of his policies. Every single one failed. Uh, the trillion-dollar, uh, um, what do you call Stimulus, it? Stimulus, porculus. Yeah, the porculus things. Every single one. There's just not one idea that he advanced that actually worked. And, and a lot of his ideas, by the way, just kind of went into the, the uh, what's ethers, ether sphere. Is that the expression? They went into, into space. Yeah. <laughs> I don't he, the ionosphere. The ionosphere, right. Yeah. He, he's, words come out of his mouth. He breathes carbon dioxide and, and, and just floats away somewhere, contributing to global warming as it, as it does so. That's what he does. And right? his worshiping followers forget he ever said it. Yes, of when course. When we try to remind them, he said that? Yeah. It's a, well, you know. Yeah, you know, keep your plan, keep your doctor. Right. You remember? I don't remember that. You're, t- you're talking about almost seven years, my friend. That's a long time. A lot of things to remember. Oh, man. So he, he, he does this. Okay, so it's just one step after the other. Now, why do I bring this all up? Because it made me realize when you talk about, like, for example, the Iranian deal, that's another example of that. He won't be able to walk that back either if and when, God forbid, it actually gets uh, approved by Congress and the Senate. And unfortunately, I think it will be, uh, well, it will be disapproved, but he will veto it. And then they will not be able to override his veto. In the end, he will prevail. He will prevail, yeah. Policy, yes. Yeah, but I, I like the fact that he's going to have to be in the position where he vetoes it. He's going to have to do that. But okay. So um, that, that is a major issue. Now, it, it, all these things that we're talking about reflect one thing in common, is that Democrats think it all sounds good on paper. Right? Their ideas, always good on paper. That's, that's the one thing you can say. Like, well, and the Iranian deal, let's start with that as an example. Well, they say they're not going to develop nuclear uh, ambitions and fission material and such. Well, that must mean that they're not going to develop nuclear ambition and fission materials. Right? That's, that's what they say. It says so right here on this piece of paper you see. Okay. <laughs> Likewise with Obamacare, which is the ultimate monstrosity, right? 2,700 pages of, you know, all sorts of sub-agencies and doctors and, and lawyers, of course, and regulations and this and that, and it's all going to work swimmingly well, and all these people are going to be signing up a- until the point that nobody signs up, right? This is, this is the joke. I mean, the Obamacare website itself was a, um, what do they say about he, he's a caricature of himself, Right? when they talk about a, a personality. The Obamacare website was a caricature of Obamacare itself. That's my point. And it was so sloppily and hastily put together and such like that. But it all sounds so nice on paper. The problem is it doesn't work in reality. And it's not, it's not about, you know, gosh golly, you know, if only we had enough uh, gas in the tank. It's, it's not like it's a car that would otherwise run but for the fact that we don't have gas in the tank which is itself a problem. No, it's, it's the equivalent of, 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 draw, of, of making a car outside on the street right now made full of Lego blocks, right? And, and not even having an engine underneath it and then expecting it to go because it looks about the size of a car. It has the color of a car and it has windows that look like a car. You know, if you could smooth out the windows and such like that, the Legos. And say, I've got a car. That's what it's like. That's, that's democratic policies in a nutshell. They, they draw a picture of a car and they think they've got a car. How about that? They draw a picture of, of health care and look, it's going to work swimmingly well. Here it is. They, they, they say that um, Guantanamo is going to be changed forever and, and, it, and, and so it's going to be. They, they release, uh, they're going to release the Internet, and, it's, and everyone's going to respect the Internet the same way. And well, so it will be. And, and this is not just a modern problem. This is Democrats forever. Yes, thank you for okay. clarifying. That's exactly right. They tell us there will be no war, and the way to end the war is a draft, so the rich people have to fight too. And there's World War I. They pass the, the Smoot-Hawley tariffs, 
and they passed the uh, great the um, uh, the FDR bills to fight the Great Depression, and the Great Depression doesn't just last a couple years; it lasts 16 years. Right. Then my favorite, they say we have to fight a war on poverty. Right. A war on poverty. And they spend $40 trillion waging this war, and the poor are still poor right. and impoverished. Right. When you could have just given the poor some of that money. Yeah, that's exactly right. Or, or uh, one of my favorites is uh, minimum wage. As, as We often talk about that. And if you raise the minimum wage, well, then everyone will have more money. It says so right there on a piece of paper. Never mind that, of course, on the other side of that piece of paper are the employers who say, I can't afford to pay you at that rate, and, or I will hire you only on a part-time basis, so I don't have to pay you the minimum wage. Or better yet, you know what? I can't afford to stay in business. Good luck. Yeah. And Oh, I forgot the mother of them all, of course, yeah. the income tax. Oh, of course. That, 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 yeah. It'll <laughs> never a, get more than 4%. Well, no, it's, it's, it's simpler than that. It's not even a question more than 4%. It's, it's what, how it works on paper. They say, well, gosh, if, if we're getting this much money at 30%, imagine how much more money we'll get at 99%. Hell, why don't we just take all of their money, right? Great, great idea, Bob. And, and they go about you know, pursuing the, these ambitions and then suddenly realize that in the, in the reality that it's just a paper car like we described before. One of my favorite examples is busing, by the way. Oh, And the reason why, why I bring up busing is because it's so emblematic, of course. But I actually lived through this. Did you? Were you affected by it? Yeah, I was too. Yeah. So but let me tell you how my life was affected. I was, uh, I think, about eight years old when busing came into full force in Connecticut, and we lived in a town called Stanford, Connecticut. Not to be confused with Stanford, California, where I actually went, ended up going to college. No, Stanford, Connecticut, and we went to a good schools, a public school, and they decided that certain parts of Stanford should be uh, redistributed, redistributed, right? To, and, and that meant the kids going to this much lesser quality public school two hours away. And those kids will come to the good school. Exactly. So they, they told my parents that uh, I'm going to go uh, to this other school two hours away, and they'll come over here, blah, 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 just like you said. And the next thing I know, I, uh, my parents are moving. And you're going to private school. No, we're going to a different town altogether oh, that didn't, didn't have, have busing. busing yeah. Yeah. yeah, a much more expensive town, but great public schools. Didn't have busing. And we're in there. And I, 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 I never figured out why we did that. And then 10 years later or so, I said, what, why did we move? You know, from, what, what prompted the move from Stanford to Greenwich, Connecticut? And he said, oh, they were going to move you to this lousy school. And, I, and, and he said it very rightly. He said, look, I just came to this country. <laughs> From Israel, we just, we didn't do anything wrong. We 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 never advocated slavery. My ancestors didn't have it, slavery at all. And all of a sudden, I have to pay some sort of price, because I'm sending you to a good, you know, good school. I was creative creative enough to make enough money to live in a, a decent part of Stanford, not necessarily the rich part of Stanford, just a decent part. And now I, I I'm being penalized. You're being penalized. My my kids, and I have to worry about whether you're not you're going to be bullied. Beaten up or even raped, or not learn, or not, which is why you're there in the yeah, first place. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, whatever. Is, is if you don't, if you're not learning, why are you in school? Right. You know? So of course, all these parents and and a phrase came out of it. It was called white flight, and we were part of the white flight. And it and it's like they never thought about this. People thought, you know, this this is the essence of democratic thinking or liberal thinking, is that they assume people act statically. We talked about a whole show about the static thinking is what we called it. And, and nothing ever changes, right? And the, the chessboard, you, you, only you get to move the chess pieces. The other side doesn't have any opportunity to move yeah, its own no chess pieces. Yeah, no one ever responds yeah. to your moves. No, it's life, life uh, no one has their own interests or anything else like that. You, you, you set a policy and we're all stuck with it and you've got to live with it. And, okay, so they abandoned busing. And it's such a classic example of, of what, how they perceive the world about how it has to work on paper all the time. Yeah, and something so interesting about that example is the whole idea was that you have a good school, you have a bad school. Well, let's take some of the kids from the bad school, send them to the good school. 
That, and and you'll still have a good school. You'll still have a bad school. And some of the good kids will go to the bad school. And the, both the the good school is theoretically not supposed to get any worse. And the bad school is theoretically going to get better. But the way it works in real life is both schools turn to crap. Right. Because on paper, if I had a bottle of Camus Cabernet and a bottle of horse manure, theoretically, if I mix them two together shook them up and poured half of the mixture of both in one bottle. Half of the well, theoretically the manure would get better because it was mixed with Cabernet. And theoretically you could still drink the Cabernet with a little manure in it. Theoretically, right? Right. Doesn't work that way in real life, does it? Well, the unfortunate uh, metaphor that you've made here is to suggest that poor kids are like manure. They're not, of course, and that's not what you meant. But the, the point is that No, a low-quality product uh, is not g- mixed with a high-quality product is not going <laughs> to not degrade the high-quality product. Yeah, I, I understand. And I, mixing some of the high-quality product into the low-quality product does not make it that much better. Well, because the analogy is not the kids you're talking about. You're talking about um, and that, that the, the school system is so bad because of labor unions and, and all the different things that are involved there. And the lack of uh, attention, lack of respect for the kids altogether that comes from the top down. It's not the kids. It's the, the way that they comport themselves and, um, and the fatherlessness among the families and so on like that. That's what the, that's what the problem is. And, and really what they were analyzing, and I don't want to get too far afield from this, Ari, is that they were hoping that by sending the uh, wealthier kids or middle-income kids to the poor areas, that that would get the parents to be more involved in the poor area schools and, and thereby increase the quality right, of the schools. It up. Right. They didn't really think about how it would... First, they didn't think about white flight for one thing. And then they also didn't ask the balancing question, which is, well, gosh, if you send these poor kids who are, come from fatherless families and, and otherwise who don't give a crap, well, why would they give a crap about these, these high the schools? Better school. The better schools. And they, they won't. Anyway, it just didn't work. It didn't even get to that point, Ari. And the, and the whole thing collapsed very quickly. Yeah. Here's, here's yeah. what I want to explore. Sure. I want to explore the following. I love, I love ask, you know, looking behind the closed doors behind a decision and asking, how did that come about? How did that policy come about? I prefer to ask the question, what in the hell is wrong with them? <laughs> well, that's after the fact. <laughs> okay. But let's, let's, let's go, whether it's busing or Guantanamo or anything else. Let's talk about Guantanamo because it is an Obama decision. So, you know, during the campaign or whatever, they said, what should we come out with, Mr. President, as a bold move to start off with? And then somebody in the staff said, I know. Why don't we close Guantanamo Bay? And somebody, the president probably said, I like it. You know, tell me more. Well, you're, Mr. President, if you, if you uh, decrease, uh, you know, get them out of there right there, it shows a, a clear signal that sticks it to Bush for this unlawful war and the horrible ways they treat it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And everyone's nodding their heads. This is fantastic. Great thinking. That's what I'm going to come up with. That's going to be my first thing I'm going to say. And everyone's patting each other on the back and just say, we're doing right by this country. You know what? We're doing right by this world. It's going to be a brave New world and a good new world for all of us. And they're all just kind of nodding their heads. And, and that's the amazing thing, and that, that, that no, no one among them stopped to say, just to be the naysayer here, not even the devil's advocate, just to be a naysayer, just to say, what if, it, what if there is a reason why we are holding these people in this you know, Gitmo facility? What, what, what if, maybe we ought to think about that. But of course, no one does think about that. Well, it's, it's the same question as, you know, all those people who have been convicted of murder who are sitting in prison, why don't we just release them? Yeah, why don't we just... so much to house. We're making their families angry at you us. You know, that's a very good example because it's exactly the same thing. That's a really good example. Why not just release them? Yeah, what, what, what harm would come? Right. They've been in prison. No, they no, haven't... they don't even ask... No, hold on. Oh, they, oh, don't, they even, don't even ask They don't even yet. ask that question because that's a legitimate question to ask what harm would come because if you do ask that question... It does trigger your brain, like, you know, like, like, like any. Well, it triggers your mind. No, 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 but different it, it would even it would even trigger the liberal mind, even I'm saying. And the reason why I'm saying it is because, like, sometimes you, you know, you you're at a cocktail party and you want to kind of ingratiate yourself, and and there's a word that floats about. Let's say the word uh, dog or whatever, and then you've got a great dog story you want to share. Oh yeah, that reminds me of this great joke. People will like this joke, and you tell the dog joke, right? 
And all of a sudden, you're Mr. Popular. Okay, you get the idea. So things, you know, when you ask a question like, what harm could it do? Well, it does trigger a question. Oh, the harm stories. Well, you know, <laughs> my sister was raped. It does. By guys in jail who that murderer. That's right. It does. It does make them think. Kind of oh, like that he's maybe in jail. There, maybe there might be negative consequences to this. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, they, but they didn't ask that question. What they simply asked in your in your example, Ari, is the question of um, what you know. We we could save money in this process, right? Let's save money. Hey, let's release these people and we'll save money. They didn't even get to the question of whether or not there is harm afoot that, that might result from this, right? And that's the same thing with ICANN, right? They didn't ask that question at all. They don't ask the question about um, raising taxes. They, they don't, uh, raising taxes, never once, what's, what's that expression? They always do it so well. They say, and I feel that, that we, we should really evaluate the negative impact of raising taxes said no liberal ever, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, right? Or, or the minimum wage and, and the busing thing. They, they just have these ideas, and no one says, but what are the consequences of this? What, what might be negative about this? How can we make sure those, those wascally Republicans don't accuse us of being irresponsible? You mean like that question that engineer wrote as a letter to the editor of that Colorado newspaper about three weeks ago about what would be the harm if they're wrong about removing that plug that's holding up those holding ponds at that Colorado abandoned mine? Oh, yes, that's right. Right? That's right, yeah. And then, gush. Gush, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know the concept of groupthink? Have you heard of this? Well, I've always had my own definition, which says the more people you add to the group, the lower the median IQ drops. I, I think it, that's a different concept, it's, but you're, you're... It's you're, part of the overall corollary of it. Groupthink is a business phenomenon. It's, it's actually, you learn it in business school, and it's a very powerful one to learn. And I, it's like one of the many good things I took away from business school. Um, and groupthink is this. Where you have a bunch of people, five, ten, doesn't matter how many, and somebody comes up with a crazy idea, an idea that's just not good for whatever reason, but then you start seeing other people nodding their head. I like it, Bob. I like it. I like it. And, and it, this, this momentum builds up. It's like a ball that goes down a hill and, and it gets, you know, or a snowball if you like, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes by everyone. And... And let's say in a group of 10, so the ninth person, what do you think about that? John. John is now, suddenly, he has to go against this, this big snowball. This avalanche. Yeah. Yeah. And he's more likely to f- try to think, like, I should say yes to this. And that's, that's called groupthink. The, the temptation of the group to think as one, even though it might be a terrible idea. And, and literally happens a lot. It, I mean, in business, you can see this time and time again. One of the greatest examples was uh, that when they developed this car, I forget what it was called. It was Gremlin or something. A car that they said... For everyone. For everyone. Right? Yeah. And it was such a stupid idea. <laughs> it, it, it went against every basic concept of marketing. But somebody in a boardroom said, we're making this car. Isn't this a great idea? And somebody kind of nodded along with him. And then it went to the next guy, the next guy. And it was an ultimate disaster. Just a dis- It was worse than the Edsel. No, it took AMC out of business. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a and New disaster. Coke is another example. Yeah. Well, I know, I know, we, I know. We have eighty years of history with this classic beverage. I have an idea. Let's reformulate it and take the old one off the market. Right. Right. People will <laughs> love it. People just want. It's the eighties. People want something new. Yeah, that's right. What? That was group thing. <laughs> yeah. But the same thing is true. Liberals, generally speaking, engage in this massive groupthink, and it's easy for them because, well, after all, it says it all on paper, and that's all they ever require is that something is said on paper. All right. Well, when we get back, we will talk a little bit more about China and uh, some of our classic themes as well. But understanding China and the stock market and what is happening yeah, and how frightening this can be. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Why can't they just say what they need? Come, come. 
Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments. Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what would you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about and made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is Brooke Lurie again with uh, R.A. David. All right, so uh, recently, as you know, Ari, there's been uh, plenty of stock market news. and What happened? Well, <laughs> oh, you were, you were away. <laughs> um, so the Dow takes a tumble. The Nasdaq takes a tumble. It's, it's pretty bad. It's, it's a blood, bloodthirsty situation. And uh, it, it all comes down to one basic principle, which is that China uh, has uh, really faltered. And the reason why it's faltered is that its its own bubble is a huge economy. Uh, the economy is a huge bubble. And so we are so tied in the economy with China that, we, um, that we're suffering as well. And that, of course, makes a lot of sense. We've been saying on this podcast um, quite often that China is truly a bubble economy. And the reason why uh, we should never truly fear China as a competitor economy it's because China is not a democracy. It can never be a truly free market society. You cannot have a great market without freedom of ideas, without a pushing of the envelope, without a pushback against government, um, and without the government really taking a very limited role. We, we want a thousand flowers to bloom, I think is the expression. But, gov- but a communist government doesn't do that. It's just antithetical to the whole notion of communism. And no matter how they rework communism to make it more market-friendly, you know, kinder, conser- more compassionate communism, or whatever they want to call it, okay, uh, it, it just, it's just not going to get any better. So I knew that. Ari, I think you, you knew that, too. Um, everyone has always been saying that uh, China is going to be so great one day and such a big deal and it's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And, and, and I was one of the, I think, very few saying, not so much. No. They have a lot of people. They may want our goods and services, so that's, that's significant. But in terms of them actually taking over, in terms of new ideas and innovation and such, no. It can't be. And I know that because... Um, during the late 80s, when I was studying in business school, the big talk was uh, Japan. And everyone should talk about Jap- uh, talk Japanese and should learn Japanese because, you know what, the Japanese are going to take over the, the world economy, and we really ought to learn from them. And then it turns out that the whole thing was a bubble, and this is a free market democracy, mind you, Japan. And, and it all fell apart. Why? Because the government was too in bed with the private enterprises, and it was just a kind of a corrupt like, crony capitalism. That was true crony capitalism going on there. And it all fell apart. And then it coupled that with the fact that they had very little population growth and so on. It just, it, now they've, it's, they talk about the lost decade for Japan. Now it's becoming the lost two decades. And it, it, no one's ever talking about the re-rise of Japan, you know, the, the, the resurgence of Japan economically or otherwise. And it ain't going to happen. They don't have enough young people. China now, by contrast, uh, while it has a lot more people, that's true. But having a lot of people does not a great economy make. If that were the case, 
then India would have been a fantastic economy a long time ago. In fact, China would have been a fantastic economy a long time ago. So just merely having a lot of numbers is not, it doesn't mean anything. It, it, may, it may mean an opportunity if you truly unleash a free market society, but people alone, no, it doesn't mean a thing. Uh, and, in the, and, and a major distinction between China and Japan was that, that Japan was a democracy and China is not. It just, it can't happen. And now we're discovering that China was engaging in all sorts of fluff uh, in order to cook their books, to make it appear as if they were having a 7% growth. When in reality, you know, behind closed doors, the, the, the Chinese uh, com commandos were really acknowledging that it was only 2.2% growth, and even among them it was more like one5 which is really tepid. And they had very minor unleashing of economic regulations, and, and that's the reason why there's any growth at all. All right. So you're with me so far? I'm with you. All right. That, that is the reason why we're seeing China kind of imploding now, and it's not going to get better. And what they're doing with the devaluation of the yen was specifically for purposes of propping up the economy as best they could. But it's a little bit like, I don't know, uh, you're falling from a skyscraper and you're kind of blowing, <laughs> blowing with your mouth in order to kind of you know, counteract the, the fall, right? No, it's, it's not going to be very effective at the end of the day. You're going to fall. And there's no, no or, or you know what a better analogy is? Is, is that you simply pump up the, the tires. It's a flat tire, but it's a, it's a flat tire, period. And you can pump it up, and for a few seconds, it looks like it's inflated again. But then very quickly, it's, it goes back to the flat status that it was. You've got to fix the tire. Patch it up or replace the tire altogether. That's how you replace a tire, right? Um, and, and China doesn't learn that simple lesson. So we're all going to suffer in the meantime because we have mistakenly connected ourselves so deeply with China, and China has its own debt and everything else, and we have debt with them, and, uh, and, and it's so interlinked that now we're going to suffer along with them. Kind of like so many people have suffered as a result of Bernie Madoff's scheme, right? That was a big bubble. When you think, a Ponzi scheme is a big bubble, right? It's a, it's a charade. It, it, it makes it seem, on paper, there you go, again, you know, to follow up on our previous theme, on paper, everything looks great. You're going to get this many returns. In fact, you have been getting this, this much in the way of returns. And now it's gone. Thank you very much. Yeah, sure, Bernie Madoff is ruined, and he's in jail, and, as he should be, of course. But look at all the other people that he's taken with him. And, and it's all destroyed lives now. So that's what, that's what China has offered. We've, we've invested in this phantom economy, and now we're going to go down as well. Or we're going to suffer as well. I hopefully we won't go down, down. I don't. I don't have great hope for our economy in the future. I do think that fundamentals uh, of open market systems are are strong here, but they could be stronger. And I just don't know. I, I think we are one. You know how they say one one medical emergency from bankruptcy. You know for this or that couple. I think we are one national catastrophe or a worldwide catastrophe from a very deep recession. That, that's, the, that's the concern I fear. The good news, of course, is that there's great hope that we will have a Republican in the White House. Named Cruz. Named Cruz, right. Uh, a, a, a candidate who hopefully will, will, be, uh, will be strong enough to push through some painful measures, but to really change things around. And here's the beauty of it. You know, if, if they do it right, the pain Involved maybe six months. Well, why why is why are tax cuts painful measures? Oh, I'm not talking about tax cuts. Why is, for, why, for sure, that's why the, is a, a, a policy of strong dollar. I, I understand interest rate hikes when you have debt is a painful measure. Right. But if the upside is a strong and stable economy pegged to something that has actual value rather than a fiat currency, isn't that something that we all want? Because you talked about one cold away from bankruptcy, one medical emergency away from bankruptcy. I think the analogy is this. We're one major market collapse, probably happening on September 13th of this year, 
away from something really, really bad, of which speculation will just give all the listeners heartburn, because the Fed and the government have already done all the quantitative easing, printing of money, adjusting of interest rates downward, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the only reaction the, mar- the, the government and the authorities can make to a massive market collapse is to do nothing, which is what they should have done eight years right. ago, obviously. Right. No, we're on the same page of this. I'm, I'm, I'm simply saying that uh, we are... If, if, if a Republican, the right kind of Republican that we're talking about, does the right thing, he does just simply has to let go, deregulate a lot of the things. By and large, the, 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 the first victims of such a change, uh, basically a deregulation market, a deregulatory scheme, will be those who are truly in the public sector. I was going to say all those government employees yeah, at the IRS. Those are the ones who are going to suffer the most, right? Yeah. Um, if we got everything that we wanted, which would be, of course, lower taxes. No uh, IRS, no, no Obamacare. Hang on, hang on. No IRS, no Obamacare, no, you know, virtually no minimum care, uh, minimum, minimum wage. Minimum wage, right. Uh, and, of course, uh, you, know, you, you know, changing all the laws regarding uh, affirmative action, changing a lot of the laws uh, regarding regulations, generally speaking, and so on. And, and redistributing and just abandoning all these projects, these these bridge to nowhere projects, then I, th- I you know the people who would be hurt the most are those in the public sector. Right now, the people who are being hurt the most are the ones in the private sector, right? We're, we're being we're feeling we're dying the death of a thousand cuts. You've heard that expression. They will they will uh, suffer as well. Those who are in the public sector, but they'll find new jobs. You know that's that's the beauty of it is that. Yes, the people will lose jobs, but but they'll find new jobs in the private sector soon enough, and there'll be good-paying jobs as well. And whereas the pri- the private sector is suffering in the in a much larger sense right now, meaning that we, we can't grow, we, we entrepreneurs can't start new businesses and new companies because the regulatory scheme um, uh, what's a, disincentivizes such a such planning. It, it's just too much to do. I mean, as as uh, as the famous uh, the CEO from um, not Home Depot but one of the big Whole Foods that way no it was Home De- it was uh, it was Home Depot he said um, if he were to try to start his business today he would never be able to get oh, off the yes, ground absolutely uh, and and many other Staples the Staples guy also said the same thing and uh, I think they're right you know but so, but think of all the tens of thousands of jobs that those two companies provide you know where. I mean, and, and think of all the tens and thousands of jobs that might otherwise have been created had we maintained um, a mid-80s style um, approach to business. But no, no, that's not acceptable to the people. So the worst that will happen is that some agencies will fall apart. Agencies we don't need in the first place. So they're, they're inherently inefficient. Whereas, they're people who should be unemployed. Right, right. Until there, they figure there's, out. There's some jobs that, that are just wasteful jobs that they're doing nothing. And it's not jobs for the sake of jobs. You know, you, I, don't want, I, I don't want to pay some, um, some guy at the NSA um, for looking at porn sites uh, nine hours a day. I, I, that's not what we, why we want him. We, or an even better one. I don't want to pay some guy at the uh, EPA to operate a uh, lathe or a drill that dumps orange crap into a river. Yeah. yeah putting, that guy should be unemployed. You know, this discussion reminds me, again, of The Simpsons, as you know, <laughs> and, and there, was an, there were many episodes along the following lines where the, the chief operating officer of, the, uh, of the, the nuclear power plant where Homer Simpson works, you know, his name Mr. is Smithers. Mr. Burns and well, Smithers. Smithers, yes. Yeah. So Smithers reports to Burns, he, he notices that whenever Homer's away, that uh, the incidences of accidents and meltdowns dramatically re- <laughs> is reduced, Right. And the same thing would be true here. You know, if we were to get rid of all these these crazy organizations, well, surprise, surprise, you know, things would be much better. It's exactly the opposite of, of what uh, they're actually designed. It, that's what we call irony, right? And just like Homer Simpson, he, his his whole role is to be the nuclear safety inspector, right? But, but his very presence creates the very dangers that he's supposed to be avoiding. 
All right, you get the idea. Yeah, and this also makes us more like China. The reason China is China, besides lack of freedom of speech, right, and that stuff, is because it's a, it's a stratified class system. If you're in and you're a member of the nomenclatura, you're in. You will never not be in with this government system. So this government system employs an army and massive police and security forces to keep the little guys from ever unseating the big guys, which in a free enterprise system must be allowed to happen. Exactly. It must be. Yeah. You've got it exactly right. The only way an economy can, can really zoom and thrive is through freedom, through less regulation, um, and through the encouragement of entrepreneurship through the rule of law. That's, yeah. that's how it works. We, and, and the beauty of it is we, we know it. We, we've seen it in, in America itself, and we, we've seen it with every single country that's adopted these same principles. And it goes back to our kind of podcast from kind of our podcast from a long time ago, where I think I recall saying that you know when I was ten years old, I thought, well, I, I naively thought that uh, gosh, if, if every other country in the world just kind of adopted America's constitution, with of course changes for you know the, the reality, there's no more slavery anymore and such, but otherwise adopt our constitution uh, with very minor tweaks, we you know the the, the world would be a fantastic place. Really fantastic, and and then I was I became fifteen and I laughed at myself when I was about being ten, thinking the way that I just described. And then when I was uh, twenty five or thirty, I realized, hey, yeah, that was that was right. Yeah. yeah, if everyone adopted our our approach, which is open markets and such like that, I think the world would be a fan friggin' tastic place. It would. And you can say, oh, come on, Barack, Ari, that's so culturally centric. That's so, that's so naive. It's so, you're, you're so uh, chauvinist. Yeah, but uh, we can culturally prove it. Speaking. But we can prove it. Of course we can the, prove the it. Pro- the proof is North and South Korea. Yes. It's different culture than ours, okay? <laughs> Vastly. Different, different government system. Totally d- same genetic people on either side of that dem- demilitarized zone. Exact same DNA. And yeah. the exact same DNA produces one country that has no light at night, and the other country produces the best TVs That's ever right. made. That's exactly. And the only difference between the two countries is, is, freedom. The, is the government system. Yeah. That's all. And uh, so, so this is, it's so basic, and, and this is why we are right to want to spread liberty throughout the world. Because we know that, that the, these, these truths we hold to be self-evident, right? I mean, not just the, the pursuit of life, liberty, and, and happiness, but also the, the notion that things can't thrive when the government is on your back. The, these are self-evident. We don't need to, to view it as a cultural uh, position. This is something we do, like, like we eat uh, you know, hot dogs on July 4th and, and, and turkey on Thanksgiving. That's cultural. I get that. But, but the, the, the notion that freedom is different for you and it is for me... That, that, that you like that, that you right. like not having freedom, and that's your culture, and I, I like having freedom, and that's my culture. F you, no, you, that's that's what the the, the the dictators are telling us. Exactly. But the people want freedom, and and by the way, it's very funny when we talk about the Islamic uh, is, is, Islamists. They will tell you right and left all day long, we want the same things you want. We want to raise our families. We want them to be educated and such like that. Let's take them at their word. Let's take them at their word. Well, if, if, if you are telling us that you want the same things that we do, then, then presumably you also want freedom. Presumably you want the government off your back. Presumably you're tolerant. Presumably you, you accept all, all faiths and cultures and you're open to gays and, you're open and you, you respect women. But you don't, do you? And who taught you that? Who, who's enforcing that upon you? Anyway, let's go back to China. Well, I, I wanted to make two right. very quick points that I think are very germane here. The first is about culture, because we constantly hear about the multiculturalists talking about the, uh, how no culture is more superior than the other and everything must be celebrated. A couple days ago, Dennis Prager had on a wonderful guest, Michael Walsh, the incredible writer. Yes, I do know. And they were talking about uh, in this, it wasn't the topic of their discussion, but they brought up the topic of Japan and how in Japan they worship German classical music, the Mm. great classical music of Western Europe. And 
to the multiculturalists on the university campus, this must be a mind blower. Right. Because how would the Japanese, with their wonderful culture in many ways, think that German music would be better than their own music? But sure enough, no, even the Japanese know German music is the best. Right. The other thing is... Wait, 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 wait. What's your point? Well, the point is about... It's, it's about the best thing for people uh, to hear, to eat, to experience doesn't necessarily come from one place or another, but even the Japanese are open to the best, in this case, music, from another place. So why wouldn't they be open to the best freedom from our place? Well, that's a very good point. If you, if you take it as a culture, if you truly believe it's cultural, then... I mean, after all, they like our jeans, right? They like our TV. They, they like our music, you know, rock and roll and otherwise. And, and you, you gave a good example of classical German music. Um, then, then why can't we... They seem to like our freedom, too. I mean, if, if it's so cultural, then how come it works so well in Japan? How come, you, you know, no Japanese is saying, we really resent that you impose freedom on us? How yeah. dare you and give us freedom? And we're not talking about the corona capitalism. We're talking okay. about the freedom of expression in yeah, of course know, we civil are. society. Of course we are. Um, and, uh, you know, likewise, Germany, today's Germany, doesn't say, how dare you not let us be fascists? You know, it's, no, it, it's, it's nonsensical. They, they, they adopted it because it's the right thing to do it's what causes a people to thrive, and you've got to unleash the, the power of the people, as it were. So, I mean, it, it, it's so basic. Yeah, the other point I wanted to make, and I'll make this fast, but I think you'll like this, has to do with why the multiculturalist or the leftist rejects freedom, is because freedom and free enterprise mean everyone has to wake up nervous. And what do I mean by that? Because class strata is not... Uh, set in stone because it's fluid, because a winner today could be a loser tomorrow, because everyone has to work hard it. every day it. to stay at the top of the game. Everyone from the from the um, person being a janitor in a public bathroom to the CEO right. has to be nervous enough to go to work that day to work their hardest to succeed. Yeah, and if okay. you live in a society All where right. there's I get protection... It. I get it. You're, you're saying you got to hustle. Well, I, and, you and, know, no, you're not listening to me. I'm talking about the emotional arguments that people who want f- no freedom for others are also don't want people to feel the nervousness of having to do a good job every right, they, day. They, well, no, it's, it's the classic uh, debate and um, a, a war between um, prosperity and security. Yes. Right? It, that's, that's what you're talking about, and I understand that. Because liberals, they, they claim that we conservatives are the ones who are clinging to the past, right, and fear, yes. uh, whether God and guns and religion and all that stuff, right? But in fact, they're the ones who are living in fear because they, they fear uh, having to, to hustle, like, like we talked about. You use a loose phrase like the word hustle, but they, they fear having to work hard, fear having to be responsible for themselves. They would rather that a system be in place, whatever that system might be, Call it whatever you want, but a system that guarantees them that there is a safety net, and not only that, but that they, they get to enjoy all their wonders of their lives, whether it's going to the movies or the libraries or the zoos or whatever it is. Or your four-week vacations in France in August. Yes. You know? but, and, and also, so that once you've made it, you've made it and can never fall back. Which I, is what they have in China. Yeah, they, they love that, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's go back to China, because I, I, want, I want to wrap up the whole notion, and then move on to another topic, which is a really very, very poignant and very au courant. And that is um, uh, about Ashley Madison, so I'm going to give a hint to that. Following up on, on uh, China, we will not see China ever grow again in a significant way. Until and when, sorry, if, until if and when China becomes a full-on democracy, a real democracy, even a democracy like Japan is a democracy or South Korea is a democracy, then we'll see another rebirth of China. But it ain't happening now. From now on, China will only be able to grow tepidly. At best, it'll probably go into some sort of recession. But right now, it's in reality, it, it always has been more like 1.5% growth at best. And that's only because they just did a lot of building and such. And they allowed a little bit of growth, a little bit of the opening of the markets in the past uh, 15 or so years. That, that's allowed for the growth. But even that was only tepid. They lied. They told us they were having 7 to 9% growth, and it was, it was a lie. It was all currency manipulation. It, it was all, of course yeah. it was. But I knew that. You knew that. I, I'm, I'm not 
saying how brilliant I am. It's just obvious. You can't, if the whole thing is just built upon lies, right? You know, look, uh, it's, it's, it's literally like a Hollywood set. That's what they did. They said they, they built Hollywood sets, and they said, "Look how look all the great building that's going uh, on weren't here." Weren't those called Potemkin villages in the Soviet yes, Union? Yes, they yeah. were. Yeah, they, they might as well have been Potemkin it was like villages in the movie um, uh, Blazing Saddles, rock, the fake Rock Ridge, were just facades. Right. It, everything. And everyone assumed it was the real town. Right. But like like the old West uh, things, you know, yeah. they have the facades there, and that's what I mean. You push it with your finger, and it's gone. Right. It just falls down to the ground, and and we're seeing that now, and nobody can take or treat China as seriously as we once did. The, the, the bubble's gone, thank you very much, and it ain't coming back. Okay, we're not going to be fooled again. So that's my prediction for it. You can, you can expect China to be a rocky road for itself more than it is for America, but we're going to have to suffer a little bit along the way. All right. Um, yeah, talk about things that look good on paper, right? <laughs> that's exactly what China was. All right, here's another thing that, that looked really good in paper, and I told you it would be about Ashley Madison. Right. Uh, as we, as we uh, speak today, the website Ashley Medicine is, um, this is a website that basically is a central way station for all people who want to commit adultery, basically to have an affair, whether that they're single looking to hook up with somebody who is married or vice versa. There it is, Okay. And it's a central way station for that. And Ashley Madison, depending on what you want, offers not only for you to meet a lot of like-minded people who are willing to engage in exactly the kind of behavior that you want, uh, it also offers anonymity and privacy. Now, I'm not here to talk about the salaciousness of having all these people's names exposed because there was a hacking recently. And that's, that's the big story, right? There was a hacking, and the bottom line, without getting to the details of it, is that if you wanted to find out uh, whether somebody is uh, a member of Ashley Madison or has signed up in any way, well, you can just plug in that email, and there's that person's name. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the salacious part of it. I'm more interested in the big picture part of it which is this. What were you thinking? If you were a member of Ashley Madison, like, what were you thinking to think that somehow you're going to not be exposed ultimately by way of a hack? Again, you may not care. You, you may be one of those people that didn't care at all, but I'm talking about those people who did care, right? Who hoped to, to, to be private enough and such like that. We live in a world where the Pentagon gets hacked, the White House gets hacked, the public uh, sectors union uh, uh, you know, employees list gets entirely hacked. Um, you, you have Sony Pictures getting hacked. You have uh, Target, right? I mean, all these private and public entities are getting hacked time and time again, and, and you ne it never dawned on you that, your, that this private list, which could be humiliating if, if anyone exposed you, but this might get hacked? I mean, certainly you know, Ari and I know, that, that when I go to my bank, uh, I won't even mention my bank's name, but let's, let's say Bank of America, okay? Ba bank of America has a website. And if you are a, are a client of Bank of America, you know that there is a possibility that somebody might uh, hack, your, hack your account and, or your passwords or whatever, and suddenly one day you wake up and you see zero in your bank account. That's a possibility. You don't want that possibility. You hope against it. Maybe you have uh, uh, this or that security device that helps you, and, and you hope that Bank of America gets uh, sophisticated in the ways of avoiding these things, but you know that it's not guaranteed. And, and you, you engage in these uh, protocols, the, the banking uh, thing. Maybe you buy something on Amazon. Uh, maybe you have um, some sort of grocery thing. All these things you understand can be hacked, and yet you're, you, you put the most sensitive fact on a website like Ashley Madison that, that you would never want divulged. I mean, it's one thing if somebody hacked into my bank account, it would suck. It would be very unpleasant. I would have to try to recoup it somehow. It would, it would cause me a lot of pain. But it wouldn't humiliate me. It wouldn't unless destroy they, my life, unless right? Unless they saw your charges billed to Ashley Madison. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> a good point. I stand corrected. 
Anyway, the point is that it wouldn't humiliate me in the process. In fact, I might go to you and say, oh, what a bummer, you know, my bank account just got hacked. Oh, I got to deal with uh, this and that agency and such like that. But, but you would never say, uh, you know, presuming that you're very embarrassed, you know, you don't want anyone to know, you would never say, oh, don't you know my Ashley Madison account got hacked? Woo. Can't wait for my wife to find out about this one, you know, right? <laughs> That's, the, you know, you don't share that kind of information. So, so, so I'm, I'm putting the whole notion of how, how people can even think that this is going to be realistically kept in a nice lockbox that it's impossible for anyone to hack through when they should know easy. So, so that's, that's one thing I want to talk about. Here's the next thing. We live in a culture which tries to mainstream uh, more and more vices, okay? And, and more and more things that should not be mainstreamed. Examples, transgenderism. Okay, you know what? One out of 35,000 people suffer from this. I don't want to mainstream them. Okay? There's something wrong with you. You need help. Okay, if, you, if you're a woman thinking that you're a man, you need some help. Okay? You're, you're, you, know, you might as well say, I think I'm Napoleon. Okay? Go get some help, please. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So, but, but they're trying to mainstream the whole thing. You know, Bruce Jenner and so on, right? And um, likewise, if, if you have a, a pedophilia, right? You know what? You need help. You, you, and you certainly need to be away from kids. That's the bottom line. But you would never mainstream it. What if there are a website that said, you know, you, we can connect you with uh, people who know how to get access to little boys or little girls, right? And then you say, ah, oh, finally, a website for me <laughs> if you're a, pedof you know, a pedophile. Is that the right word, pedophile? Yeah. Right, okay. Not pedophilia. Pedophile is the, is the noun. So suddenly you say, oh, great, uh, now I can do this. But, but you, would, you would think wrongly that somehow this is legitimate. Now there's this way to go, and, and uh, there's nothing wrong with it because you know what? Other people are doing it too. It's what they call diffusion of responsibility. If you, if you are going uh, 85 miles an hour on the freeway and everyone else is going about 85 miles an hour, are you speeding? The answer is, you're damn right you're speeding. Yeah, you are. It doesn't matter that there are 15 other cars around you that are speeding. And a cop can pull you to the side and say, you're speeding. You, and, and it's not a valid defense to say, well, so many other people were speeding too. Why didn't you choose them? Yeah, instead you have to say, I was just going the flow of traffic. Right, that or, the, works. or the flow of traffic, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but you get the idea. You're still speeding, period. That's it. It's, it's not good enough. And, and, or, or like looting, right? Uh, I'm looting, and everyone else is looting around me, so you can't arrest me. Yes, I can. Yeah, the only one that seems to work for is, you're an illegal alien. So are all of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, good point. But you get the idea. This is the, this is the diffusion of responsibility concept. And so that's, that's another thing that's very scary. Um, and, and then this other big notion, and, and that's that there's the sense that um, it's glorified. It's even good to engage in a fair. The tagline I saw, because it was in the news, uh, it was... Um, having life short, having a fair. Yeah, life is short. Not that having, I know. Life is short, having a fair. Okay? And, and they've got a pretty woman with a finger to her lips as if to keep it quiet. So all the proper elements are right there. Life is short, having a fair. And, and they're encouraging you. And they say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, I do want to have an affair. And it'll be kind of cute because a lot of other people are doing it as well. And uh, it ain't right. This is the funny thing about it. Is it's this, this notion that things that are, what, which should be obvious vices are now becoming mainstreamed and acceptable, and not only that, but, but very fashionable. But criminal behavior has always been in, you know, Al Capone, Bonnie and Clyde, yes, mafia yes. movies, you know, the uh, Che Guevara. It right. was a murder, and people right. go, he's so stylish. No, he's not. He just doesn't bathe. That, that's right. The worship of Mao or he's Stalin. A, mur a murder is a murderer, period. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's not even a... I mean, you can argue, well, Barack and, and Ari, it's, it's, this is about adultery, which is not a crime, at least not in this country. And it's a, yeah, but it, but it doesn't matter. The point is it's immoral. And it, we all know that it's immoral. How that, many that, Bill Clinton defenders thought it was cool that he was caught? Yeah. But, but let me get to the point. The immorality of it 
is they're, some, they're trying to take away the immorality of all this stuff. Just like they're trying to take away the immorality of um, perceiving uh, boys and girls to be different, to the immorality of teaching kids um, homosexual behavior. And not only that, but to teach it at a very early age, right? There's a lot of things that are, that are really wrong, and yet they're... Uh, the, the, all the things we talked about uh, last week about the distinction breakdown, right? Where there's there's no um, distinction between good art and bad art. Or there's no good versus evil, and so on. But but those are immoral things. That the, the evisceration of distinctions is a terribly immoral thing. At the end of the day, and we got to fight against it. So the lesson that we are to learn about all this is that there is no free lunch. A vice is a vice. And you should assume that no matter what, whatever mechanism you use to engage in your vice, you're gonna be found out anyway. It doesn't matter whether you do it secretly just on the sly because you met somebody cute in a bar that you're committing adultery or whether you're doing it through Ashley Madison. Either way, you're an adulterer. Don't think of yourself as anything else because you're nothing better than an adulterer, okay? Nothing. At the end of the day, you have to live with yourself, you have to be yourself, and we, we, we know that despite all the technology that's out there, things always come around. And very sadly, we're seeing some people actually committing suicide as a result of being discovered on, on, uh, on Ashley Madison and otherwise. What a sad world to live. Because, and the reason why they're doing it, because they, they were given the illusion that what they were doing was okay. They were promised that. And suddenly to discover that it was all a big charade. Like the Ponzi scheme we just talked about with Bernie Madoff. It was all on paper. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon. <laughs>